I invite you to open your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at chapters 8 and 9. We started that last week, so go ahead and turn there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And a uh, song, by the way, isn't it? That God loves us so much, he, he seeks us, God is seeking you. And by the way, if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, God loves you so much He's talking to you right now. God loves you so much He had someone invite you to church today or prompt or He prompted you to come. I mean, whatever it is that got you here today, that's God chasing you. That's God's grace looking for you. There's a, there's a man who's a pastor today, but when he was a, a kid in about the sixth grade, his father took him to the local Kmart store. This would be back in the, in the 1970s. Wanted to reward him, wanted to, to congratulate him for an accomplishment. So they walked inside the Kmart, and when they got, when they got in the front door, he just kind of spread his arms open and, to the whole store and said, whatever you want is yours. So just go find it. Whatever, whatever you pick out, I'm going to buy for you to congratulate you for what you've done. Now, being a sixth grader, he still didn't grasp everything about money or how much money his father had, so he started looking through the store. But in his mind, he was kind of limiting what he was looking for, the price and all that. And so he didn't go after the really big, big expensive items like a, you know, a huge uh, entertainment set, which back then would have cost more than today. Uh, he didn't go after the big expensive bicycles or, or whatever. He, he, he looked and he looked and he settled on this, on, on a case, a really nice case that cost about... $50. And that was a lot for a case. It was really nice. How many of you remember cassette tapes? Okay. Those of you my age or thereabout, remember we, we in our cars we had those cases that you carried your cassette tapes with all your music on? And I still have at home my old 8-track tape case for 8-tracks. In fact, it's got some old 8-tracks in it. And, and so he found this really nice, expensive case to hold all of his cassette tapes. And that's what he asked his dad to buy. He didn't learn until sometime later that his dad actually had $1,000 cash in his pocket that night and had taken his checkbook just in case he picked out something that cost more than $1,000 because whatever he picked out at Kmart, he was going to buy to congratulate son and the boy said that's when I realized I had limited my blessing by my mindset I think we as Christians do that a lot we limit what God is able to do in our lives because of the way we think the attitudes that control us that influence the decisions we make that limit our prayers. And, and the result of it is we limit what God wants to do. We've been talking for several weeks now about identifying those things that this next year and beyond, God wants to do in your life, my life. He wants to accomplish within us, fix, change, help us, etc. And then pray about it until God does it. We, we're limiting God. And, and, and churches do that. I mean, when we only attempt to do what we know we can do, 
what we can explain with human logic, we can accomplish. We don't really need God. We limit the blessings of God. We limit the things that God wants to do to do within us as a family of faith and, and as individual disciples. We, we've been reading, you know, Draw the Circle, that devotional book for the last several weeks, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Um, and, and by the way, I want to praise the Lord. We, we gave away 900 50 copies of that book. Isn't that incredible? 950 people took a book to read. Now, if you've been reading it, keep reading. If you've finished, I've, I've heard from some people uh, in recent days who've already finished the 40 days uh, and well, and are going back and doing it again. That's a great thing to do. If you've not started, you have your book but you haven't started, go ahead and start. We're doing a 40-day prayer challenge, but it's okay if you're not on the same schedule I'm on. Just that, you know, God can still work in your life. That's good. Just go ahead and start. Take advantage of it. But there's a couple of quotes in that book that I really like. And one of them I found on page 43 says this. It said, here's what I know for sure. This is what the author wrote. God won't answer 100% of the prayers we don't pray. Now think about that a minute. God won't answer 100% of the prayers we don't pray. When I preached on prayer the last Sunday of December, one of the things I said was, if you and I don't care enough to pray, why should we expect God to do anything? He may choose to out of grace, but why should we expect God to do anything if we don't consistently and faithfully pray about those things that God is placing on our hearts, those things that He's directing us in Scripture to care about? So prayer is important. And praying daily about those things that are important to God. It matters. But there's a second quote found on page 50 in that book, in the devotional, that says, We can pray until our knees are numb, but if our praying isn't accompanied by acting, then we won't get anywhere. That, yes, we pray and pray and have faith, but brothers and sisters, God does not honor lazy Christians. If we don't care enough to not only pray but we don't care enough to serve, to get up and obey and to do those things that God is directing us to do. So both are important. We are to pray and pray and pray and keep praying until God answers that prayer. And then we are to do those things God's directing us to do, God's calling us to do, that in Scripture He commands us to do, He instructs us to do. So praying and acting, praying and obeying, praying and doing, both of those matter. And so one of the prayer requests we have as a church as it relates to our future is on the screen. It's in your program. We've been talking about it for a while now. We're praying and asking God to give us the ability to pay the loan, the debt we have on this relocation, on this campus of $6 million, and to pay all of it in the next six years. And last Sunday I brought out the whiteboard and I showed you how according to logic and our history and our numbers, we can't do that. We can do so much, but we can't do that. It's a God thing. God can do it. And so we're praying, God, do it. Do it through us. Do it with us. Enable us to do this. And, and the reason is so we can be positioned to respond to whatever God asks us to do in the future. So the debt we have is not bad debt. It's only bad debt if we drag our feet and don't pay it back as quickly as we can. 
If we say, I'm just going to do the minimum, I'm just going to do the least, I'm just going to kind of get by, that's bad debt because that means we'll pay more money in interest, which means we're wasting God's money. And secondly, it means God has opportunities out there in the future for us. We will not be able to seize them to do anything with them because of the debt. And so, yes, it's not bad debt unless we drag our feet. So let's pay it and position ourselves to keep moving forward in whatever God calls us to do in ministry in the years to come. So that's our prayer request. And and, um, I'm going to get to the text in a minute, but I want to share some prayer encouragement and prompters with you. Last Sunday we made available these prayer tents. They're available in the back on the tables as you exit the room this morning. It's a sheet of paper, cardstock like this. You fold it. You can set it on your kitchen table, on your desk, on your nightstand, wherever you want to. And every time you see it, be prompted to pray. Next Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer event here at the church for 90 minutes. I'm encouraging you to come. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to pray for our own life and walk with Jesus Christ. And and don't worry about praying out loud if you're not comfortable doing that. This will be similar to what we did uh, the first Sunday night in January where there are prayer stations along the building and uh, through your own your own timeline and, and, and by yourself you go place to place and you just follow the instructions and you pray and you have an encounter with God. You don't have to pray out loud in front of anybody. But I promise you, you're going to encounter God. So be here next Sunday at 5 o'clock for that prayer event. Next Sunday we're going to have some keychains, especially for the ladies, but anybody who wants one, lightweight keychains to prompt prayer. But today, I want to talk to the men. Because we have on the front of the stage here about 175 coins. They're, they're packaged and they look like this. And it's got the information about our 6 and 6 campaign. Now I'm saying men because men are more likely to carry something in their pockets than ladies. Okay, So I'm asking during the invitation this morning for 170 men to come to the altar. And in so doing you're making a commitment to pray for this church and for the 6 and 6 campaign. And uh, get one of these coins and put it in your pocket and keep it in your pocket for the next six years. And every time you reach in your pocket and you feel it, you touch it, pray for this church. Pray for this loan. Pray for this miracle of God. Pray for people to be saved. Pray for the backslidden to be restored. Pray for families to be healed. But every time you feel that coin in your pocket, pray. And we don't have them on the tables in the back because I want you to make a commitment to God, you're going to pray for it. And I'm calling on the men because men are to be spiritual leaders. And so, guys, let God speak to your heart when we give the invitation. I'm asking 170 of you to come and get one of these coins and say I'm making a commitment to pray for this church for the next six years every time I feel that coin. Just things to encourage and help us to pray. And then one last thing, something all of us can do. As the clock turns... Every day is 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And as we have this focus for the next six years, six million in six years, every time you see the clock and it's 6 a.m., every time you see the clock and it's 6 p.m., you pray for this church. You pray for your own walk with Christ and what God wants to do in your life. You're driving down the interstate. You look at the clock on the dashboard that says 6 o'clock. Keep your eyes open and breathe a prayer. You don't have to do, you know, you have to pray for 30 minutes. Okay, you have to pray for 30 minutes, but you can, you can pray for a couple of minutes. Just breathe a prayer every time you see 6 o'clock. Now, guys, so come and get the coin. That's your prayer prompter. Ladies, um, if there's any left, you can get them. I want the guys to get them first because I'm calling on men, but also I know if this gets down in your purse, it'll take a search party to ever find it. <laughs> okay, 
So guys, come and get you a coin during the invitation. And, and in so doing, you're not just getting a coin. You're making a commitment to pray. But that's, that's the first point. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. But the second one is we have to take action. We have to do something. And here's what I know. If over the next six years God does this miracle, a big part of how he does it will be through the generous and sacrificial giving of his people through weekly giving, monthly giving, annual giving, and through estate gifts and other things that we don't know anything about right now that God's going to do over the next six years. We don't know how he'll do it, but he will do it. But I do know and you know that a big, big, big part of it will be the sacrificial giving of his people. It takes action. It takes obedience. It takes doing. I mean, think about it. All the ministries we have in this church, our staff and our utilities, everything that we pay for, we pay for through the generous giving of God's people. It will be no different with this loan and paying it off. Now here's what I want to do this morning. Since giving is going to be a big part of what's happening, I want to do some teaching from 2 Corinthians about the right way to give. You see, how we give matters. We can give the right way or we can give the wrong way. And we want to make certain that we individually and collectively give the right way. It matters because giving the right way pleases God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, at the end of that verse it says that God loves a cheerful giver. There's a right way and a wrong way to give, and we want to give the right way, the way that pleases God. Another reason we want to give the right way is because it maximizes the impact of what we give on everyone involved. When you give in the right way, when you give with the right spirit, it makes a difference in how God works in your life. When you give the right way, it makes a difference in how much God multiplies that gift for the sake of His kingdom in the church and in His ministry. And so giving the right way is important for a lot of reasons. What I want to do is take a few moments from these two chapters and share with us some lessons about giving the right way. What does it mean? What does it look like to give the right way compared to giving the wrong way? What are the biblical principles for giving the right way? And here's the first biblical principle. Everyone participates. Not just some. Not just a few. But everyone. Not just the wealthy. But everyone. Every person matters. Every gift matters. Every, every person, no matter circumstance, it all matters. And giving the right way means that everybody participates. Now, in chapters 8 and 9, as we looked at in detail last Sunday, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, Christians in the city of Corinth, encouraging them to finish collecting the offering that they had promised to collect that he would then take to Jerusalem where Christians of Jewish background lived and were suffering persecution and were poor and having a hard time. And so he's collecting an offering from Gentile Christians. Here from the Corinthian Christians, we also saw in the beginning of chapter 8 the Macedonian Christians, those up in the northern part of modern Greece in the cities of Thessalonica and Philippi. And he even tells them in chapter 8 that the Corinthians had motivated and inspired the Macedonians and the Macedonians had been really, really generous in their giving. But there's even more to it than all of that. Don't turn to it, but I listed it in your note sheet. In 1 Corinthians 16, the last chapter of, of, of that book, which is the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, he talks about how he was instructing them 
to, to give to this offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And he mentions in that verse that he'd even done the same thing with the Christians in Galatia. Now remember that, Galatia, which is where Paul spent almost all of his first missionary journey and then revisited those churches on his second and third missionary journeys. And then the book of Romans, in the book of Romans in chapter 15, Paul says to them, I'm going to Jerusalem. He's on his third missionary journey. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem and take the offering he's been collecting from the Gentile Christians in Galatia and in Greece, in, in Macedonia and Achaia. And he says in Romans 15, I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints, to take this offering for, the Mas- for, for Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia and Achaia are the provinces of, of what we would know today as modern Greece, the cities of Thessalonica in your Bible, Thessalonians, Philippi in your Bible, Philippians, Corinth in your Bible, Corinthians, and even the city of Athens that's mentioned in the book of Acts. He said, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to show you a map. Here's what Paul's doing. Galatia, you see to the right, that long green, darker green section that goes through all of that, that country. That, that, that country, that's modern Turkey. Modern Turkey. And when Paul talks about Achaia and Macedonia, you see to the left middle of the screen, Achaia and Macedonia, those churches, Athens, Corinthians, Philippi, etc. That's modern Greece. Now get this picture. Paul is collecting an offering from Christian churches in Turkey and in Greece for the Christians in Jerusalem who are of a Jewish background and are poor and suffering persecution. He's trying to bless them and help them. He's also trying to strengthen the bonds of fellowship between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And by the way, if you want to know whether or not it's important for us to witness to people, if you want to know whether or not it's important for your Sunday school class to focus on outreach and evangelism, and then when it grows to divide, let me use that bad word, divide and create a new class so we can reach more, if you want to know why that matters, Turkey in the first century was one of the most Christian nations on the planet. For centuries, one of the centers of Christianity was Constantinople, or today Istanbul, and today it's predominantly an Islamic country with a lot of radicals. And so being evangelistic in our community is important not only for the salvation of the people we witness to, but for the future of what can be in this nation. So that's just a second free sermon, okay? Be evangelistic. And that's why what we're doing as a church matters. Us being able to respond to anything and everything God calls us to do down the road matters. And so here's Paul getting Christians in Turkey and Greece to be generous and giving to this offering for the Jerusalem Christians. He's illustrating a biblical principle. Everybody needs to be involved. Everybody needs to participate. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Here's the first one. That's the, la- that's the last worship service in our building downtown before we relocated in 2004. Now, if you look closely, some of you will see some people you recognize. There are some people in those photographs who are no longer here. Some of them are in heaven. Last Sunday, downtown, 
2004. Now let me show you a second picture. That's this past September, our refresh service. Remember when we all wore our uh, I Like My Church shirts? Uh, I love it every time I, I walk in here on Sunday and see somebody wearing it. I love my you know, church shirt. If you're wearing it today, you got something else on too under it because it's cold outside. But, uh, but uh, you know, now let me say something. The picture there from 2014 from this past fall, there are people in that photograph who were not part of this church in 2004 when we had our last service downtown. Last Sunday when we had people stand in the first service, I think it was about 40%. We're not there when we bought the land in 1996. It was an even higher percentage in this service. So some of the people in that picture were not there in 2004 when we had our last service downtown. And even more of them were not there in 1996 when the people in this church took a step of faith to buy this land and relocate so the church could have the future God wanted it to have. There's another side. There are some people in that picture from 2004. And, and last Sunday I put up a picture from 1996 if I did that again. There are people in those two pictures, 2004 and 1996, there are people in those pictures who are not here today because they're in heaven. I looked through a lot of photographs this week and I found one that had three people who were very dedicated, very active, and gave and were a big part of this church's ministry all in the same picture, but they're, they're, they're in heaven. I, ha- I had a picture of three people at our groundbreaking in 2003, and they're, they're in heaven. And I didn't want to show those to you today because some of you would be like me and we get a little teary-eyed, and I don't want to cry out in public, so I didn't put the pictures up. But they're not here. They weren't, they're not in that picture, and they're not here today because they're already in heaven. And I, I want to say something. I want to say something to those of you who were not here in 2004. And those of you who maybe were not here in 1996. I want to say to you that the people who were in those pictures from 1996 and in the picture from 2004 that are now in heaven, that are now in heaven, they helped make this church that you enjoy and benefit from today They help make it possible for you to enjoy what you enjoy right now with their faith and their sacrifice and their generosity. And I want you to notice what Paul said to the Romans. Now, the Romans are Gentile Christians. And, and he talks about the Macedonian and the Macedonian Christians and those in Achaia. They're Gentile Christians. And he, and he says that they were pleased to participate in the offering and even felt indebted to the saints in Jerusalem. He says in, in Romans 15, they, For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also material things. What he's saying is all of these Gentile Christians in the countries that we know today as, as Turkey and Greece, Christians from that time period, he said in a, a very real way, they owe a spiritual debt of gratitude to the Christians in Jerusalem, which was the very first Christian church. And all of us who enjoy the benefits of today, in a very real way, owe a spiritual debt of gratitude and thanks to those who came before us, those who were there in 1996, those who were there in 2004, but today they're in heaven. 
And that spiritual debt of gratitude means we need to pick up the mantle, so to speak, and carry on. Because if this church is going to be what it needs to be so that people who are not here today can benefit from the ministries of this church a decade from now, that is up to us today to make that possible by our obedience, by our prayers, by our giving, by our sacrifice. One of the ways we honor the heritage that we are blessed with, one of the ways we one of the ways we, we recognize the indebtedness we have, the spiritual indebtedness we have, is to not let it collapse, but to carry it forward into the future that God has for this church. And so we need those of you who were not here in 1996 and those of you who were not here in 2004 that are blessed by and a part of and benefit from this church to help us carry forward. But I want to say something to those who were here in 2004 and were here in 1996. Some of those who were here with us, they're in heaven, like I've said. You know what they did? You know what they did? They gave to the very end. They gave to the very end. And some of them gave even after they died through estate gifts. We've received several of those over the years. Left the church in their will. Just because I was here in 1996 does not mean I'm not to obey God in 2015. Just because I was here in 2004 does not mean I'm not supposed to do my part in 2015 and beyond. We do our part until we're home. We do our part until we're in glory. And so where I've spent most of the time this morning on these biblical principles for the right way to give is with everyone participating. Everyone. Everyone. Participating because every person matters and every gift matters. Now real quickly, some more principles. Giving the right way means we give out of grace and love. Grace and love. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. He says, I'm not speaking this, talking to the Corinthians about their giving. He says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Grace, love, the highest motivation for giving, whether, whether it's a large gift or a small gift, whether it's a, a gift to the work of God or it's a gift to a family member, it's, it's love. Earlier this week, I happened to be in Target one afternoon to, to pick up something. And, and while I was walking to get what I wanted, I passed the section where there's you know, magazines and books and so on and videos. And I saw these children's books. And so I started looking. And I, I found this really good book on angels for kids that I bought for, for our grandson Liam who turns five in a couple of weeks. And I'm looking forward to reading that to him. I didn't spend much, you know, ten bucks or so. But, you know, when you're a grandparent and you love, you spend money. It's just what you do. You see something, you get it. It's, it's a pretty quick choice. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's just what you do. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. When, when there's love, when there's grace, we just do it. When you love, you give. When you love, you share. When you love, you sacrifice. When you love, you just do it. And he's saying here, listen, I, I don't want you to do this because somebody's commanding you. I want you to do it because you care, because you love, because you've experienced the grace of God. God's free love for you that cost you nothing but cost Him the life of His Son. 
God's love is free to you, but it was not cheap to Him. That's what love does. And so that's the right way to give, out of love, out of grace. Another principle is giving the right way means we give according to our, to our ability at this moment in time. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse, verse 12. He says, For if the, if, if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I mean, circumstances change in life. We, we, all of us in this building, in this room, are at different seasons of life. Some are able to give more than others. That's not the issue. The issue is what is your capacity? What is your ability? You give out of love, out of that ability. And God honors that. We go through seasons in life individually. Monice and I are at a place where we can give more now than we could when our kids were preschoolers and we were 30 years old. That's just life. And so we give out of the circumstance in which we are, our ability at this moment in time. That's one of the biblical principles. So it's not comparing yourself to anyone else. It's not comparing yourself to a different season in life. It's, it's, it's dealing with where you are right now and doing it out of love. And by the way, if some of you want to do more than you can because you've made some bad financial decisions, one of the commitments you need to make is to let God help you as, as you seek wisdom through classes here at the church and financial advisors and books and so on, to have a plan to get yourself out of the debt you're in so you can be in a better position to participate in doing the work of God in this world. Because some of us have allowed credit card debt and other things to get in such a way we're not able to participate in what God's calling us to do. And if we don't have a plan to change that, we're going to spend our whole life frustrated and feeling guilty and convicted and never able to be part of what God is doing. So deal with it. Pray about it and put a plan in place and deal with it. Another biblical principle for giving the right way is to give generously. In chapter 9, verse 5, he said, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. You remember from last Sunday, Paul had sent Titus and two other men from Macedonia down to Corinth to make sure they had the offering together they had been collecting that they had promised so when he got there it would be ready so he could take it on to Jerusalem. And notice he said they had promised a bountiful gift and then he continues in verse 5 saying so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift a second time, not affected by covetousness because our desire for things can get in the way of obeying God. And then verse 6, a principle he says, I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And did you notice that verse 6 about the principle of, of reaping what we sow, sow bountifully, reap bountifully, sow a little, reap a little, that verse is sandwiched between two verses about giving. That verse is sandwiched in the middle of two chapters about giving. So anyone who says that's not talking about giving is denying the plain sense of the Bible. And that doesn't mean if you give, God's going to make you rich. We're not, you know, those TV preachers who say if you give, God will give you, you know, ten times the amount of money you give. No, God will bless you. It can come in a lot of different ways. It can come financially. It can come spiritually. It can come in relationships. It can come in health. It can come in opportunities. God will bless and God will provide for you. But there is a biblical principle that our generosity impacts the generosity of God in our lives. 
that can be expressed in so many incredible ways. And so one of the principles of the right way to give is to give, not only according to our ability, but to give generously. Generously. In fact, in the earlier verses of chapter 8, he bragged on the Macedonians. Because just like the Christians in Jerusalem, they were persecuted. Just like the Christians in Jerusalem, they were poor. But he said in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 of chapter 8 that they begged him for the privilege of giving and they gave generously, they gave according to their ability. In fact, he said they went beyond their ability. You remember when Jesus was in the temple? Jesus was doing something that most Baptist churches in their bylaws say you're not supposed to do. Jesus was watching how much money people put in the offering. Jesus was sitting in the temple courtyard and he was leaning against a building and he was watching people come by and drop their offering in the treasury. Modern, you know, that was ancient offering plate, if you will. When suddenly this elderly widow came by and she dropped in two coins worth about one penny. And he said she gave more than all the wealthy people did. Now she didn't give more in terms of actual dollars. She didn't give more because she was poor and gave. She gave more, he said, because she put in everything she had, whereas everybody else just put in out of the overflow, out of their abundance. She gave a higher percentage of what she had. And Jesus bragged on her. And when the Holy Spirit directed men of God to write the New Testament, he had two of them, Mark and Luke, include her story in their Gospels. Jesus bragged on people who were generous. Why? Because it's the very heart of God. God so loved the world that He... And what did He give? His best. His only begotten Son. God is a generous God. The very fact that God created this universe and gave us a home in it when He created us is the generosity of God. Our privilege as disciples of living in the heaven forever with Him in His home is the generosity of God. The cross is the generosity of God. He invests in people. He invests in us. And that's what giving in ministry is all about. It's investing in the kingdom of God. It's about investing in what God's doing to change people's lives. There is no better investment than that. There's, there's a pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, who a while back uh, helped a homeless woman living under a bridge. He gave her some basic hygiene supplies and so on. A few weeks later, she called him, told him she had been raped. So he took her to the hospital. After that, she started attending his church, and the church was ministering to her and helping her. One of the things they did was they gave her vouchers so she could buy food and so on. The problem was she kept giving away her vouchers to other people. And so the pastor told her, he said, Tammy, you need to keep these for yourself, otherwise you'll run out of food. She lived among needy people. 
And she just stared at the pastor. And when he told the story, he said she looked at me, you know, incredulously. And she said, why can't I give some too? Because in her mind, it was unthinkable that she could receive a gift from others and not in turn share some of it. Let me ask you something. Why is it that the people who are the most negative about giving, the people who criticize it the most, the people who criticize churches the most for it, tend to be people who themselves don't give very much? You think there's a connection? See, the people who are generous and give don't have a problem with it because they understand its worth, its importance. They get it. They get it. They get it. I mean, we, we can go to church and we can say amen and we can do this and, and we can do that, but when it comes to this subject, why is that? One last principle, we give cheerfully. Giving the right way means we give cheerfully. In verse 7 of chapter 9, God loves what kind of giver again? A cheerful giver. By the way, do you know the Greek word translated in your Bibles there as cheerful is, is the word we get our English word hilarious from? They are hilarious givers. They laugh about it. Now, now get the picture Paul has painted in these two, cha- two chapters that giving is done out of love and grace. It's done generously. Everybody's involved. He says you do it hilariously, cheerfully, gladly, with laughter. We uh, had a family dinner last night at the house. Our son Stephen and his wife were up. They're here this morning in this service. And Jacqueline and our two grandkids were there. And I fixed duck. I hadn't fixed duck in a long time, so I fixed duck. It turned out pretty good. We had dinner that earlier in the week. Monisa had bought some stuff and had Liam come by. And Liam, had our grandson, he had prepared all these uh, Valentine cards for everybody. He, he turns five in a couple weeks, so he prepared these Valentine cards. And he chose which pieces of candy he put in each bag with the Valentine cards. He, he did really good for Paul. He gave me, you know, I got Snickers and, and uh, M&M, so he did good. And it was fun. You know, so we're, we're sitting down to have dinner, and here's these bags with these Valentine cards that, that you know, Liam had prepared. It's, it's fun. It's cheerful. And God says, your relationship with him is to be like family. I mean, he's father. We're called children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. We say of ourselves at, at this church, we're a family of faith. And the, and the same love and the same kindness and the same generosity and the same cheerfulness and, and loving and giving to one another is to be exemplified in our relationship as a family of faith with Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord and our Savior. I mean, why, why would we be stingy toward him? Where does that come from? Why, why would we be grouchy toward him? Where does that come from? Love and cheerfulness and generosity. And let me say one thing here and I'm, I'm, I'm done. As we, because we're talking about this capital campaign and in two weeks we'll make our commitments to the three-year you know, three giving phase of the campaign. Um, Giving to, the, to this 6 in 6 capital campaign, it's not a commandment to be obeyed. It's not a commandment to be obeyed. Paul, Paul said, you know, this is not something I'm commanding you, you to do. 
do it out of love. Instead of being a commandment to be obeyed, it is a prompting by the Holy Spirit we should both seek and follow. A prompting by the Holy Spirit we should seek and follow. You don't know what you need to give, what you need to commit until you've sought God. Until you've prayed. Until you've asked Him by the Holy Spirit and Scripture to look at your life and say, this is what my plan is. Until you do that, you don't know what God's plan for you is. So it's not a command to be obeyed. It's a prompting of the Holy Spirit we are to seek and then follow. In your bulletin this morning, there's another insert that looks like this. It's an envelope with a card. It's the commitment card that we're all going to turn in in two Sundays on March 1. We're all going to bring them to the altar. But I want you to keep this with you the next two weeks with your Bible, with the devotional book, and I want you to pray, look it over and pray over it and seek God and ask the Holy Spirit to prompt you as to what He wants you to do. All right, would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song, and I'm inviting you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is already prompting you to do. For some of you, it's to kneel up here and pray to, to join this church. We had a couple join the church in the first service. God's prompting some of you to do that. And remember, God's prompting you to pray. I'm asking for 170 men. As soon as we start singing, don't hesitate to come down here and get one of these coins that's in these packages. Okay? And in so doing, you're committing yourself to pray. To pray for this church. Every time you feel this coin in your pocket. Some of you want to come and kneel here and pray for this church today. Some of you need to pray about things in your life, about Jesus' Lordship, about your surrender, about loving Him. So we're going to sing. As soon as I say amen to this prayer, we're going to sing, and I'm asking you to come. come men, come and get the coins and commit to pray. Come and make whatever decision God's put on your heart. Father, help us to love you more tomorrow than we do today. Help us to hear your voice clearly. Help us to follow. Help us to repent when we fall down. To get up with your hand holding us and not stay down. God, we have needs. There are people in this room with all kinds of needs and I pray you would minister in their life to help at that point of need. God, help us to listen to you and obey you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. You come. Come and get the coin, guys. Come.